Hey friends, just so you know, we enjoy the swear word and we rely on good old fashioned humor to get through some seriously dark subject matter. At no time do we intend any disrespect toward the victims or families of the victims in the cases we cover. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a few palate cleansing bloopers to reset your mindset. And with that, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends. Welcome to Crime Will Tell. I'm Carrie. And I'm Jamie. So, starting off with some brothers babble this week. Ooh, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in reference to the Dwight Tobine case, episode 13, mm-hmm. brother said, quote, Who among us could pass by a car with a layer of dust and not draw a dick in it? Who, I ask? <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. Quote, the mental image of dudes in lab coats running around high-fiving each other with decapitated arms. That's some sick shit, James. (laughs) I mean, I've heard some stories. (laughs) He called you James. I know. It makes my heart happy. I feel like I'm part of your family now. I mean, is brother my brother now? Brother is your brother. Okay. I'll see you at mom and dad's. <laughs> All right. The case I'm sharing today was suggested by a good friend of mine. Okay. Who was good friends with the murderer. <gasps> what? In this case. Yes. Many years ago. Okay. And for obvious reasons, prefers to remain anonymous. Why? Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> My friend wants to make sure that the memory of Andrea Faye Will continues to live on and asked that we tell her story. Aw, okay. Andrea's short life, she was only 18 years old, (sighs) abruptly ended in a very brutal way. And she knew who killed her. The very last image that she had in her head was her murderer, and she knew who it was. Mm. And I, I like think about that and I am just incapable of being able to understand how frightened and how confused she must have been in her final moments. Like, yeah. So this is an extraordinarily obscure case. It has not been covered by, you know, documentaries and podcasts and things like that. And, and unfortunately, there isn't a whole lot of information. So this is going to be a bit of a shorter episode. But with obscure cases, not only is there limited available sources and information, this particular case is extraordinarily straightforward. Okay. So let me take a sip of strength. Do it. Cheers, Mm -hmm. my friend. Mm. Cheers. Clink. Okay. So Andrea Faye Will was born on February 6th, 1979 in Hinsdale, Illinois, to parents Bruce and Patricia. Okay. She had two siblings. She had a brother, Nicholas, and a sister, Jessica. And as Andrea grew into a young woman, she really was the fucking trifecta. She had brains, brawn, and beauty. Oh, yeah. And she had an an award-winning personality. So you can imagine how much attention she garnered. She she was literally the full package. People wanted to be with her or wanted to be her. She was captivating. She had an aura. And she was down to earth too, like a genuinely nice person. She was like one of those people that she didn't realize the effect that she had on others, right? which made her all the more beguiling. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah, the oh, whole- for sure. Like she didn't even know and she was just super confident in her own skin. And so she just like did her own thing. And we all know some people like that. Yeah. She graduated in 1997 from Batavia High School in Batavia, Illinois. And during her high school career, she was super active and well-rounded. So not only did girlfriend maintain honor student status, she also contributed to the high school newspaper as a writer 
and she ran for the track and cross country teams. Damn. Okay. But that's not all. She also had been an assistant swimming instructor at the Harold Hall Beach Quarry Swimming Park in Batavia, and she played softball for the Batavia Park District. Damn. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to stop there. She was well-rounded. She was a writer. She was a softball player. She was an assistant swimming instructor. She played on, you know what I mean? Like she just was like, she ran track, cross country. Side note, track and cross country, they require Mm -hmm. different athletic skill sets. Cross country is endurance. Track Mm -hmm. is sprinting. And she did both. It's impressive. Like true. Yeah. Yeah. She was a really impressive Impressing? Wow. Do you need to sit down more than you are already sitting? You need to lie down? She was a really impressive person. So not only did she fully engage in the opportunities high school had to offer, but she also leaned into engaging within her community, both for her own interests and to help teach others. She was basically the daughter every parent dreams of having, and I'm sure she made her parents, Bruce and Patricia, really, really proud. So Andrea's high school years, they were going swimmingly. In 1996, when she was in her third year, which is a junior here in, in high school years in the United States, she met a young boy named Justin J. Boulay, who went by J at the Batavia Swimming Pool in 1996. So okay. shortly after they met, they started dating and things were going well. They entered their senior year of high school as a couple, and when it was time to set sights toward college, Andrea decided, you know what, I'm going to attend Eastern Illinois University at Charleston in Illinois. So she stayed in her state, so she she graduated high school from Batavia, and she decided, I'm just going to go to Eastern Illinois University. That's what I want to do. So high school graduation comes and goes, and Andrea is super excited and eager to start her, to start college. And it didn't take her long to get settled into new life as a college student. She quickly joined the Sigma Kappa sorority. So she was a sorority girl. She had chosen marketing as her degree focus. And so again, as was her style in high school, she fully leaned into college life. She engaged in clubs. She engaged in activities that suited her interests, that made her happy, fulfilled her. So she was like one of those chicks that was just like, super full of energy, super full of life. She had everything in front of her. She was really just grabbing everything with everything that she had. Fast forward to a night in December of 1997. It was winter in Illinois. And this night, it really started out just like any other night, just like a normal, just your average night. Only Andrea had decided that she didn't want to be with Jay anymore. And this was the night that she had officially broken things off with him. By December 1997, the bottom line was she just she just wasn't into the relationship anymore. And this is what she told Jay. Hey, look, I don't want to be with you anymore. This isn't working out. This isn't like what I'm looking for. It's not fulfilling. And Jay was heartbroken and he wasn't down with breaking up. He tried to talk her out of it. He's like, hey, what was it something I did? Can I do something different? Like. Is there any way we can stay together? And there wasn't. So at the end of the day, what choice did he have? You can't force someone to like you. You can't force someone to want to be with you. Right. So he reluctantly tried to accept that not being with Andrea was just the way it was going to be. Years later, Andrea's college roommate, Michelle Feld, shared in an ABC7 Chicago News article dated November 16th, 2010, that Jay was, quote, abusive toward her, her being Andrea, and that it is part of the reason why she left him. Wow. Okay. So there's a thread of domestic violence here that not a lot of people knew except for the people that Andrea shared with. Right. So she broke up with Jay and they move on with their separate lives. Andrea was fully enjoying college. She was getting back out there, getting back on the dating scene, enjoying activities and clubs that really suited what she wanted to focus on. Jay, meanwhile, he was stuck at the top of Heartbreak Hill. Mm. He couldn't move past Andrea. He couldn't move past his feelings of wanting to be together. He basically was obsessed with the idea of getting back together with her, and he just couldn't let that idea go. He was like singularly focused on it. 
Yeah, it's not good. Spoiler. Later, witnesses would testify at Jay's trial that he had written letters to Andrea, hounding her to give their relationship another chance. And not only that, he had reached out to Andrea's family and friends, hoping that they would help talk her into getting back together with him. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's not good. Side note, this never works. Mm -mm. So, like, if you've got this idea in your head that you're like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach out to her momsies and dadsies, and I'm going to reach out to her frenzies. Maybe they can help. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. It only makes it worse. Yeah. No mom is going to be like, look, I talked to Jay. No. Fuck that. Mm -mm. So... Unfortunately, Jay just wasn't getting on with life. He was just consumed with jealousy. He was jealous over Andrea having moved on. He was jealous over her dating other men. He was heartbroken that she didn't feel for him the way that he felt for her. And on February 2nd, 1998, he couldn't accept it any longer. And so he called her dorm room. This was back in the day of super duper awesome landlines I went down a rabbit hole, which I won't take us down here. Cell phones existed in 1998, but they didn't hit the scene for like mass consumption until the early 2000s. So while they were out there, you and me and the regular average Joes, they didn't, Joes and Janes, they didn't have cell phones at that time. Side note, I did have a cell phone, but it was like a bag cell phone. Do you remember those? Mm-hmm. Oh, for the sure. The bag cell phones that had an antenna that was four and a half feet tall and mm-hmm. you could get a signal in the, like the bottom of the ocean. I feel like we should go back to bag cell phones because maybe we'd have better reception. But anyways, except it was like $3 a minute and it was like, it really, you, it was you so do expensive. not use this unless it's an absolute fucking emergency. Right. If my life is in danger or I'm about to go off a cliff, that's when I can use my cell phone. So really, yeah. it just sat in the car as like a passenger. Like I never used it. Yeah. Anywho, so cell phones existed, but again, mass consumption hit in the early 2000s. And so he called her dorm room landline. So she had a phone in her dorm room. He called her and asked if they could meet. He needed to talk to her. And Andrea, because she is just a loving human being, she's like, all right. And she agreed. And she went over to his place because she didn't want him in her place. Right. So yeah. she went over to his place. And when she got there, he confronted her about their relationship or rather the lack of their relationship. And he basically yeah. was like, look, I want to get back together. They fought. They fought about it. He wanted to get back together. Andrea didn't. And he lost his temper, literally lost any thread of a hold he had over his temper. And he grabbed a cor- the cord of a nearby telephone and he wrapped it around Andrea's neck and he pulled as tight as he could, strangling her until she lost consciousness. Mm. And then what did Jay do? He kept pulling as tight as he could until she was dead. Oh my God. It takes a while to strangle someone. Right, it's not like yeah. he had that telephone cord around her neck for 30 seconds and was like, oopsie poopsie, she's dead. Yeah. No, it literally takes like a solid three to five minutes, more on the side of five minutes for someone to die that way. Yeah, and pulling it's hard. intentional, like not, and you it's, were like, yeah. yeah, it's not like a oh my god, I didn't mean to. It's like no, you you did it for a very long time. You knew exactly what you were fucking doing. I sat there and I was like, well, how long really is three to five minutes? And I started going one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Miss. It's a long fucking time. It really is. Yeah. It's really long. So it's intentional. It's time consuming. And like you said, it takes a lot of strength. It's fucking brutal. Yeah. You don't let up at any point. If you let up, you can't. Like, exactly. uh, Yeah. When Andrea was dead, Jay cleaned her body and washed some of her clothing and then laid her out on his bed. What? According to a Huffington Post article written November 15th, 2010, Jay had later written a note before allegedly planning to die by suicide in which he said, quote, I lost it. I just, I just couldn't let go of her neck. I wanted to, but by the time I came out of it, it was too late. Damn. Okay. He killed Andrea four days before her 19th birthday. Mm. So I just think about like Bruce and Patricia, Andrea's parents, like, yeah. 
they learn that their daughter is dead. And then four days later, her 19th birthday. You know what I mean? It's like, it's too soon. Too soon. According to a Chicago Tribune article published on May 19th, 1999, Jay called his parents that night after strangling Andrea in the early morning hours of February 3rd and told them something horrible had happened. It is unclear the exact details Jay shared with his parents during the call, but suffice it to say, the call freaked them the fuck out. And Ray and Marcy Boulay immediately hopped in their car and made the drive to Charleston, Illinois, which is where Eastern Illinois University is located. Okay. And that's where both Andrea and Jay were attending college. Ray and Marcy called the local police to make them aware that something not good had happened in their son's room. I, this was not clear in any source material, but I assume he was living in the dorms as well. But I couldn't, I couldn't, he, maybe he was in an apartment, maybe he was in the dorms. Either way, he had his own living area Okay, somewhere around Eastern Illinois University. When police arrived the morning of February 3rd, they discovered Andrea's dead body laid out in Jay's bed. They arrested Jay. They hauled him off to jail. He never denied he killed Andrea. He never denied it. Hmm. It wasn't okay. a whodunit case. It was a it was a case of why. Right. Coles County Public Defender Lonnie Lutz. He was assigned to defend Jay. He was Jay's public defender. And through the course of the trial, Lutz called about twelve character witnesses to testify to Jay's quote normally gentle demeanor. Okay. So let's just take a moment here. Imagine that there's a trial whereby a defendant is being prosecuted for killing a girl. Cause let's be real. She was 18. She was still a girl. And the public defender calls a dozen people to go up on the stand and swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth and testify to Jay's gentle demeanor. Imagine if you were like Andrea's friends and family sitting in the audience of that trial and you see these people one after the other, 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 testifying to how amazing and gentle Jay is. At that point, wouldn't you be like, I don't give a flying fuck how gentle he used to be. He killed Andrea. He literally strangled her to death. Yeah, and it's not like it was a one-time deal. Like, he hurt her while they were together. He was abusive. Yeah, and and that'll come up. And what was this, 1998, the beginning of 1998? That was back when domestic violence didn't have a name. Right. Like, people didn't really know how to respond to that. They didn't really know what to do or how to react to it. So, yeah. I mean, and nowadays, it's like, clear as a bell. That's domestic violence. And it, and especially with with a couple that's that young, I don't think a lot of times like domestic abuse was equated to like teenage relationships. Yeah, you I know what I mean. Right. It was more like you're married and your husband beats you or whatever, but it wasn't that common to hear of young people being mm-hmm. abused by their partner. But that's exactly what it fucking is. Yeah, it's domestic exactly. abuse. Oh, yeah. Jay's defense also included a temporary insanity plea for Boulay, Jay, okay. contending that Jay had been temporarily insane during the time he murdered Andrea. I had to, I had to like, I was going to say I had to put my pen down when I was writing this, but <laughs> I wasn't writing with a pen. I had to like step away from my laptop because how... So Jay was only temporarily insane for three to five minutes. Right. He wasn't it's insane before. Yeah. And then he, was insa- he wasn't insane after. <sighs> Coles County State's attorney, Steve Ferguson, represent the prose- represented the prosecution. Using a host of victim impact statements and trial testimony, Ferguson didn't call any family members or friends to the stand. He said, quote, perhaps they meaning Andrea's families and friends, thought to get on the stand and cry would just be a show. They wanted to maintain some dignity. Andrea's mom, Patricia, Patty, 
She said, quote, the family felt no need to expose its pain in such a public setting. She said, quote, we felt that the only one who had to beg was Jay Boulay. My daughter did nothing wrong. Her life is gone. No matter what we could have said, it couldn't have brought her back. So where Patty's going, is like, it doesn't matter what I did, what I said. At this point, nothing matters because nothing would bring my daughter back. Yeah. Jay took the stand in his own defense. He had a black eye and bruised knuckles from being involved in a recent jailhouse fight. So you can see him sitting on the stand and he's got a black eye and bruised knuckles. And he was very tearful. He was literally sobbing on the stand and repeatedly expressed remorse for what he did, claiming that he couldn't remember actually killing Andrea. Like he was in some kind of fugue state. Jay said he was, quote, I'm unbelievably sorry for this whole situation. Situation. There's definitely no excusing behavior like this. Yeah. You know, when I read that he said and was quoted in a news article, I'm unbelievably sorry for this whole situation and that there's definitely no excusing behavior like this. I was like, well, those statements are horribly underwhelming. And I thought, what could he have said that would have been satisfying? Like, is there anything that he could have said that would have been satisfying to Andrea's family and friends? Like he got up on the stand and he testified in his own defense and he was tearful and expressing remorse. What words could he have said? Nothing. Exactly. I couldn't think of any damn thing. But it would have been better if he would have been like, I fucking lost it. I am so sorry. I know I can't bring her back. Like, not this situation. Right. In, like a minor even... inconvenience, like a car wreck yeah. or something, like a fender yeah. bender. It's just like, no, dude, this isn't a situation. You fucking killed her. The worst thing you can do is intentionally take a life. Yeah. There's, there's no coming back from that. Except Jay does come back a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Coles County Judge Ashton Waller ultimately convicted Boulay of first-degree murder. And three months later at his sentencing hearing, Wally... No, <laughs> his name is not Wally. His name is Waller. Waller sentenced Jay to 24 years in prison to be served at the Danville Correctional Center in Danville, Illinois, which is about three and a half hours from Batavia. So it's in the general vicinity. 24 years was only four years more than the minimum sentence required by law at the time for first degree murder Mm. convictions. Okay. So he got a pretty light sentence. It was very short. Of the 50-year sentence, Prosecutor Ferguson asked Judge Waller to impose, which was 10 years less than the maximum sentence allowed by law. So basically, first-degree murder conviction in 1998 in Illinois, the minimum was 20 years, the maximum was 60 years. Prosecutor Ferguson wanted 50 years. He wanted to be sentenced to 50 years. Judge Waller sentenced him to 24 years. Wow. Okay. According to that same Chicago Tribune article from May 19th, 1999, Judge Waller said Jay's sentencing hearing was the most difficult he's ever dealt with in his career. And it's because he believed Jay's remorse to be sincere. And he recognized that both Andrea and Jay were, quote, good, caring people from close-knit families. Waller said, quote, I do take seriously the proposition that this act was out of character, but it was a knowing act. He, meaning Jay, was not led into this by any other person. He carries responsibility for these acts alone. Right. And so Judge Waller gave him a 24-year sentence. Okay. Of course, I don't, I can see from your face, James, the sentence was extraordinarily underwhelming for Andrea's family and friends. Right. They're like 24 years when the maximum is 60. Yeah. Andrea's mom, Patty said, quote, for myself and my family, it has been a complete and total injustice since the day he was arrested. It's just such a slap in the face. I'm shocked that more value was placed on his life than my daughter's. This is not justice for Andrea. This is not justice for my family. 
how do I go to Andrea and tell her that he will have an opportunity to have a family? How do I ever make her understand? It's gut wrenching. Yes. That's the perfect phrase for it because I wrote this quote literally broke my heart Mm. because Patty is referring to her daughter in the present tense. And I had an image of Patty visiting Andrea's grave, her daughter's grave, having conversations with her, keeping her updated on the trial progress, how family and friends are doing, how much she misses and loves her. Like I just had this image of her just sitting there with like a bouquet of flowers and being like, so today was a tough day, you know, Judge Waller, you know, whatever, sentenced Jay to 24 years and losing a child must be indescribably excruciating. I hope I never, ever, ever understand what that feels like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, no, but yes, I I don't want you to experience that. I I don't, I don't want to experience it either. So you would think it would be pretty bad, right? That's like the worst it can get. Trial's over. Jay's sentenced to 24 years. He's convicted for first degree murder. Only it actually does get worse from here. Jesus. From the perspective of Andrea's family and friends. Mm. On November 16th, 2010, after serving only 12 years of his 24-year sentence, a 33-year-old Jay was released from prison. Wow. And he was released having served out his entire sentence. So I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment. 12 years. Half. Half for Andrea's life. I thought that was a like a typo. And so I was like, wait, is 12 years actually right? So when Jay was convicted and sentenced in Illinois, there was a law on the books that allowed prisoners to get one day off for each and every day of good behavior. What? Mm-hmm. For every day that you were a good boy. You got one day shaved off your sentence, Are you which means me? that you had a 50, if you were sentenced to 50 years, you would only have to serve 25 and then you would be considered fully done with your sentence. In wow. Jay's case, this meant that if he had good behavior every day, he only had to serve 12 years of his 24 year sentence and serving 12 years still meant that a sentence was completed in its entirety. And he was still out. Young enough. Yeah, she was only 33. Have a full whole life. Thankfully, this law no longer because I was like, um, let me look into this. This law does not exist anymore. Okay. Now in the state of Illinois, violent criminals are required to serve out at least 85% of their sentence. Okay. Like I get that if it's like way better marijuana charge or whatever. Like I fucking get that. Let those people out. But if it's like a violent charge, like you said, no, Mm -hmm. nope, nope, nope. When Jay was released on parole, he was escorted by law enforcement officials due to death threats that had been made against him. People were fucking pissed. People were like, wait a second. He intentionally and knowingly strangled and murdered Andrea He was sentenced to 24 years in prison and you're telling me that he gets out at 12 and he is like completely done with his sentence. So there were a lot of death threats. People were not happy about this. Here's a shocker. When he was released from prison at 8 a.m. that day, November 16th, 2010, he was met by his wife, Rachel Uh, Rivers. (laughs) Okay. So When someone is released from prison, they are typically then put on parole for a number of years, and then they have to have a sponsor, and they are released into that sponsor's care. Rachel Rivers was his sponsor. Hmm. And because of these death threats, she tried to disguise herself. She wore a scarf over her head while she was driving the car to go pick up Jay And then they had a law enforcement escort to escort them out of the area to ensure his safety. Mm, Great. Because of, you know, all the ruckus. Right. So Jay and Rachel Rivers, they got married three years before his release. 
So he was released November of 2010. They got married in 2007 at the Danville Correctional Center where he was serving his time. What a dream come true. It's I so mean, beautiful there. Oh it's my so God. beautiful. Ironically, Jay and Rachel had dated as teens. Really? Yeah. Jay's mother calls Rachel his high school sweetheart. But really, if you think about it, Jay and Andrea were date started dating when they were both 11th graders. They f- were dating as they graduated high school. They were dating as they started college. Wouldn't mm-hmm. Jay and Andrea be so high school sweethearts? I mean, then I was like, I maybe I don't know the so. idea. Yeah, maybe I don't but know the definition of a high school sweetheart. Do you have more than one? I don't know. Possibly. I, know. I mean, I guess. I don't know. So anyways, they had dated as teens. They broke up, went their separate ways, and then reconnected years later to ultimately get married. Hmm. Rachel was an assistant professor of medicine at the John A. Burns School of Medicine at the University of Hawaii Medical School. What the fuck? Yeah, so she wasn't a dumb. She wasn't dumb. No. She was educated. She had a great job. She was contributing to society. And their plan after Jay was released on parole was to move to Hawaii and start their lives together. Okay. I mean, sweet. But what? Well, this outraged Andrea's family and friends. In an ABC7 Chicago News article from November 16th, 2010, the day that he was released from prison, one of Andrea's friends, Laura Glomblowski, nope, Laura Gumbel, nope, Laura <laughs> Glombowski, sorry, Laura, said, quote, it just seems like he got away. And like I said, his picture looks like he's snickering, like, haha, I got away. I only served 12 years. I'm 33. I get out and I get to have a wife. I get to live in Hawaii. I have the possibility of having kids. I can put this all behind me. Her family can't. We can't. Right. Yeah. So Laura was basically speaking up Ugh. for family friends and going, where is the justice in this? So now you've got Jay, who's been released from prison after only serving half, 50% of his sentence for first degree murder. And he got married. First of all, he was allowed to get married while incarcerated. So that's a whole other conversation. And then they moved to Hawaii. Side note, have you ever been to Hawaii? I've been to Hawaii. Hawaii is a fucking paradise. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. It's really expensive to live there. Yeah, right. But it's really beautiful. It's literally like you're waking up in paradise every day. So they're just going to go and they're going to live in Hawaii. And then they can have fa- they can have a family. They can just live their lives. So Andrea's family and friends were outraged. I had to take a moment to collect myself after reading this because it's yeah. intense. It And everything that Jay is now able to do is ironic because it like it represents all that he stole from Andrea when he killed right. her. Yeah. All that Andrea will never have. Or and it's clear that this change in circumstances only makes the pain of Andrea the pain Andrea's family and friends on a daily basis feel seem more piercing. She was killed. Okay. Her murderer goes to jail. Do, 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 do. Time goes on. Her murderer's in jail. Then they get news that he's being paroled. And it it's like that wound is brand spanking new all over again. Mm-hmm. Like where would she be in life? She yeah. might be buried and a mother. Yeah. Like what would she be doing for her career? They have nothing but unanswered questions and what ifs when it comes to their child. Yeah. That sucks. What's really cool, though, is that Andrea's family and friends, they held more than a dozen vigils around the time that Jay was released from prison because they wanted to keep the focus on Andrea's memory rather than Jay's release. They wanted to be like, this is about Andrea. This is about a beautiful soul that this world lost, that this family lost, that these friends lost. And you can feel the love that they had for her and they still have for her. It literally leaps off the pages of any article that you read. It's, yeah. So this will boil your blood even more. So when Jay was released, he was to be on parole for only 
three years. What? So when he was released on November 16th, 2010, he was to serve three years of parole. That's it. Three years. So he was going to be free and clear in the wind as of 2013. Jesus. And because he and his wife, Rachel, were planning to move to Hawaii, he was transferred to the jurisdiction of the Hawaii Parole Division when he and Rachel eventually did move to Honolulu. There were a few conditions of his parole. One was that he needed to undergo anger management. Good plan. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. He wasn't allowed to step foot on any college campus because this was deemed a co-ed murder. Okay. Because they were in college and they were on a college campus when this murder took place. And he was under a travel restriction such that he had to obtain permission from the state of Illinois to travel anywhere outside of the boundaries of Hawaii. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So like he lived in Hawaii, but if he wanted to leave Hawaii, Illinois state had to grant him permission to do so. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Because Illinois was where the murder took place. Interesting. And since moving to Honolulu, Jay has completely stayed out of trouble. So if you like search for him, the only thing that you can find is like a few traffic tickets. which who of us don't have traffic tickets but jay found himself again in the news in 2019 okay what did he fucking do now according to a hawaii news now article on june 7th 2021 jay was hired by the state's department of human services and the child welfare services division as a special assistant. I'm not really sure what that means. It sounds like a super fancy title. Yeah. But in fulfilling his job duties, one piece of it would be that he would have direct contact with foster kids and others who have been abused. What? Oh, hell no. Yeah. So he was hired by the Department of Human Services and the Child Welfare Services Division And part of his job duties would have him in direct contact with individuals that have suffered abuse. Wow. Which is exactly what he did to Andrea. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maida Uh. Chesney Lind, a professor of women's study at the University of Hawaii, said Jay's position was surprising. Quote, to put him in an organization that basically women go to for help is, in my view, problematic, and especially if he's left alone with these people. Yeah, no shit. So apparently, the Department of Human Services in the Child Welfare Services Division isn't necessarily at fault because Jay's hiring actually exposed a gap in their process because they did do a background check on Jay. They did a background check on Jay before he was hired And that check went back 10 years. However, that background check is only done locally. So for the nine, 10 plus years that he had been living in Hawaii, he had been clean. He did not do anything wrong. And so when they did the background check, nothing came back as wrong. He was squeaky clean. So they had no idea. They literally had no idea that he had ever been convicted of first-degree murder and served time in prison for that murder. They didn't know because it didn't show up on his record because of the type of record that they're legally allowed to pull. That's crazy. So the situation certainly exposed maybe some opportunities for improvement in the Department of Human Services process. Yeah. Ms. Lind believes changing the law to give authority to conduct national background checks over a lifetime is a worthwhile endeavor. She said, quote, they would have the information they need to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Hawaii News Now, in writing this article, they connected with Jay. And they were like, hey, we're writing this article about you. Do you want to comment? And he said... No, thank you. I decline. I'm all set. I'm good. Yeah. And as of today, 
he is living in Hawaii, still married to Rachel, having a lovely life. Meanwhile, Andrea has been dead for 26 years. 26 years. Imagine what she could have accomplished in 26 years. And that's it. That's the end of the story. I have never been so frustrated about a case so far as I am about this one. Yeah, that is, I don't even know. It's fucking frustrating. And here's the thing that I don't understand. Super straightforward case. Man kills woman. Man doesn't deny it. Admits it. Confesses. Why is he not in jail for life? Right. There's a bunch of stuff that I didn't go into because I didn't want to give airtime to Jay's side of the story. I really wanted this to be focused on Andrea. But Marcy, Jay's mom, uh-huh. was quoted in several news articles that I had found in my research as saying that she believes that her son Jay deserves a second chance. That it's very sad what happened to Andrea, but he's remorseful and he's sorry, but he deserves a second chance. Now, what's interesting is that Marcy has a daughter, Jay's sister. So she had a son and a daughter, Jay and and Jay's sister. And she did say, now we have a, I have a daughter. If this had happened to my daughter, I would probably feel differently. Interesting. Okay. Which I did actually find very interesting because it brings up the idea of it's all about me. Mm. Yeah. Right? So like it didn't happen to me. So while mm, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but it didn't happen to me. So I'm good. Thanks. Moving on. It's fine. It's fine. Right. As long as my daughter is safe and my daughter hasn't been murdered. I'm good. I wasn't beat by her boyfriend mm-hmm. while they were together. When you have, mm, I could totally go off. I'm, this isn't the time or the place. I'm not going to go off, but I find it very frustrating that women in general, and this isn't the soapbox and I'm not poo on men. Trust me. I'm married to a man. <laughs> I'm a big fan of men, <laughs> um, but I'm a runner and I do not feel comfortable running outside when it's dusk because I'm afraid for my safety. I don't feel comfortable running outside when I'm traveling because I'm in a place that I'm not familiar with. And I don't know. It Mm -hmm. feels, but men, they can run. They can run with relative safety. And it frustrates me that women have to go to all these lengths and extremes to maintain their safety Mm -hmm. from men. You know, I think about, you know, Marcy saying, you know, my son deserves a second chance. She doesn't believe that he's a threat. Yeah. And as a mother of two boys, I completely understand where she's coming from. I do. You love your children unconditionally. I understand where she's coming from. Yeah. But this one, this one was tough for me. Yeah. Do you think that things... Your, I guess, ideas about what had happened would have been different if, say, in a moment of anger, he had shot or stabbed her versus strangled her. Oh. Do you feel like your, I don't know, just kind of compassion towards him would be different if it truly was just like an in the moment, like impulsive thing versus him literally taking minutes to, like he had opportunity to stop that's a really good question that's a really good question because you're talking about instantaneous change versus i've got four to five minutes to rethink about what i'm actually doing right now right like i still might get in trouble like she could turn me in whatever like i choked her like i hurt her attempted murder assault whatever it might have been but he could have saved her life versus I'm upset in a moment of just like passion and intensity. I shot her. Oh my God. I didn't mean to do that. Would that, I don't know. I don't know what, how that would uh, change my opinion of things. I don't know either. 
Because you can't come back from a gunshot like you can starting to yes. strangle someone. Yeah. Like that yeah, takes you have some lots endurance of time. and time. Yeah. One of Andrea's friends was quoted in an article saying that, you know, Jay had four and a half to five minutes to think about what he was doing and stop it. Mm-hmm. And if he had, he likely would have saved her life. Right. Versus you shoot someone in the head. It's instant. That's it. In less than a millisecond, they go from alive to dead. You know, I don't, to answer your question, I honestly don't know. I don't know. Because there's that crime of passion. Defense. Yeah, and that panic. Yeah, just mm-hmm. moment of like, I lost it and reacted and I can't take it back. Like I fucked up. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when you take a life, there's a permanency to that, that, that supersedes any other kind of permanency on this planet, in this Mm -hmm. world. There is nothing more fucking permanent than ending a life. And so the manner in which you end that life, that's a really good question, James, because I wonder if it's like you had a gun you call your girl, your ex-girlfriend to come over and have a conversation and you already have a gun, you already have a knife, you brought that. There's intentionality there. Right. That's true. Yeah. And I don't I don't like how I feel contemplating that question. Like it doesn't make me feel good because I'm like, what if I would be like, oh, you know, that, you know, the heat of passion or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Like a little more sympathy. Yeah. towards him or whatever yeah it's what it's about a you thing i i mean i guess if if he showed like true remorse and was just like i'm not trying to cover up anything like what i did was wrong i i think i would have a little more compassion towards him if it was just like a split second mistake versus i'm doing this like i'm fucking killing her and i have to like continue doing it for several minutes to complete it like I don't have as much compassion or understanding of how that took place do you know what's missing for me in all of my research I never heard or read him saying I deserve punishment for what I've done Hmm. that would be a big factor for me too like if you own it and you're like I've fucked up I can't like I can't believe I did this yeah like I deserve whatever I get yeah that's totally different to me versus whenever you talk about like him getting out of prison and almost being like we're off to Hawaii fuck you guys like that I I can't get on board yeah it's like fuck you he did say he was quoted in several articles saying that he doesn't remember the act of killing her And I call fucking bullshit on that. Yeah. Maybe his brain isn't allowing him to because, you know, the brain is it's mighty and it's it's complicated. And maybe Mm -hmm. maybe his brain is blocking it out because it's so horrendous. But I haven't heard him say I accept ownership for what I've done. And this is the worst of the worst of what could possibly happen to a human being. And I deserve to spend the rest of my life in jail for this. A life for a life. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, and he had been abusive prior. So it's he like, had been. It, and that was part of the reason they weren't together anymore was that yeah. he was hurting her. So that's like a whole other level, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't like this dude's living in Hawaii, living this dream life that doesn't feel good. We've all been in situations where our hearts have been trampled and we've been, I shouldn't say we all, that's very absolute, but. Many of us have been in situations where someone we were totally into and just loved to pieces didn't feel the same way about us. And so they, you know, broke our hearts and, you know, that, that sort of your heart's in a vice and it's squeezing Mm -hmm. and, you know, everybody's, most people have experienced that feeling. I have never thought that it's a good idea to kill as a result of it. Right. Like, I think we all have those moments where maybe you send a text that you shouldn't have. Like, you look back six (laughs) months later and you're like, God damn it, why did I even, like, send that or whatever? Like, I was not in a great place. Like, you can question things, but yeah, when it becomes, like, a violent, I want to hurt that person 
I can't comprehend that. So that's that's Andrea Fay Will's story. She didn't have a chance to share with the world what her greatness was. Yeah, it's 18. like right at that age where you're like really finding yourself and yeah. figuring out where your life's gonna go. Like it was just like stripped from her. That's yeah. fucking not fair at all. So God damn it. Yeah. I know. And I had never heard this one. Yeah, me either. So thank you to my friend for suggesting this story. I'm glad to yeah. be able to give some airtime to Andrea and keep her memory alive. Her family and friends, oh man, they love her so much. Even mm-hmm. to this day, and we're talking 26 plus years later, they love her so much. They really do write by her memory. And you know, when I think about that, I'm just like, golly, I hope that if something horrible were to ever happen to me, I would have people that love me like that to kind of yeah. keep my memory alive. Cause it's all about legacy. It's all about your legacy. So. I got you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you, James. <laughs> it's my pleasure. If you can just do me a favor and stop listening to my Brady Spears record, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Start staring at my headgear. <laughs> Braces. That was a tough one. Mm-hmm. They're all tough. They're all tough, but. Andrea kind of strikes me like I remember when I was 18 and you literally felt like you could just conquer anything and be like anything the world was just like right there and right there it was just all for you to take do whatever you wanted with yeah and I think the thing about it is that she fucking knew she had an intimate relationship at one time with this person who was killing her right anyway Well, as always, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening. We hope you come back for the next episode. Yeah. Check us out on the socials. Mm Mm-hmm. And with that, bye, Jamie. Goodbye, Carrie. I want to be your big spoon. (laughs) (laughs) That's great because I only want to be little spoon. (laughs) That works out great. Oh, okay. Well, that's settled. And get a new drink and some Ritz crackers. Those are tasty as fuck. I have Ritz crackers. I want to get some Ritz crackers. Make it worth my while, you fuckers. That's super inappropriate. Whoops. You know, Snoop on a stoop is super helpful. Certainly did. Aren't you mesmerized? Yes. I mean, look at this. This is fucking amazing. This is just gorgeousness right here. I just hit my tooth. God damn it. I'm Little Spoon. I call Little Spoon. I'm Little Spoon. I call Little Spoon. I prefer that hole be left alone. Shanks. Yeah, that's for toilet time, not sexy time. 